Thank you for tuning in to Cobblestone Community Church's podcast, where we are taught by the Word and led by the Spirit. I hope today's message encourages you and challenges you to draw nearer to Jesus. Good morning again. I always feel like when we get into a prayer moment, we already had church, so you can kind of go home. Uh, We're going to grab a Bible, go to Romans 8. So really, I really would love it if you did have a Bible in your hand. Uh, Some of you are freshmen or new parents here, and just to give you a a clue of what we do here, uh, we really firmly believe in a couple things that we are taught by the Word. Like, this is our firm foundation. This is where we root everything. And then we are led by the Spirit of God, which would lead me to, like, come up here and be like, I really feel like we're supposed to kneel because the Spirit told me to. But we also know that the Lord does that because the Bible tells us. And so we, we really want to lean into both those things. And we've been studying Romans 8, which has been called the greatest chapter in the greatest book, the Bible, ever. And kind of threw a challenge out there. And I want to see if anybody did it. And if you're new here today, I'll put the challenge on you. Anybody trying to memorize Romans 8? Did you remember me saying that? You're like, you said what? I did. I, I feel like this is the one that persecuted Christians. They, you got to have these things in your pocket. So that when you're sitting in hard times, maybe imprisoned, maybe they took rights away from you, you go, but nothing can separate me from the love of God. So the, the circumstance is pretty, pretty crappy, but the truth of the word is, but I'm not separated. And so over the years, Romans 8, I mean, we, we start pulling out Romans 8 verses all over the place, right? So the most famous verse in Romans 8 is Romans 8, 28. Anybody know that? And we know that. You kind of murmured it because you weren't quite sure. And we know that all things work together for good for those that love him and who are called according to his purpose. Yeah? Anybody ever had that verse wielded at them? You know what I mean? When stuff hits the fan, literal stuff hits the fan. And some really good meaning person who really is full of the love of God comes up to you and they just bludgeon you with that verse. You know all things work for good. You're like, what, it really stinks right now, right? And so I want to kind of go through uh, the rest of Romans 8 and, and but remind you before we even start where we did start. Verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those that what? are in Christ Jesus. That's where we started. There's no condemnation for you. God looks at you and he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ, which is you're welcomed into heaven. You're welcome into the throne room of grace. You're welcome to talk to your father and call him dad, Abba. You're welcomed, not shunned. God's not mad at you if you are in Christ, which means everything we talk about today from about, I think we're gonna start in verse 18 today, Try to make it to the end. Try. Everything is tied to that one thing. Are you in Christ? Not are you in church? Not have you been baptized? Not have you memorized some stuff? Are you in the Son of God? And is he in you? Do you see the difference? So I can behavior modify. I can change how I cuss, what I drink, where I go, what I wear, but I can't change my heart. And this is Paul's whole argument. Chapter seven, and we've talked about this. I'm just giving you the whole context to kind of remind you. It's like when you watch a TV show and it goes previously on, that's what we're doing. Previously in Romans, 
Paul in chapter 7 goes, like, what am I supposed to do? I want to obey God, but I can't, and I hate it. You ever felt that? That's the therefore of chapter 8 coming out of 7. Therefore, though, there's no condemnation because the Spirit of Christ has written a new law on my heart. Therefore, I'm not defined by the old. I'm defined by the new. So many Christians I meet and talk to, though, they really struggle with this idea of like, well, I still kind of mess around a little bit and I struggle and I'm tempted. And I go, but do you want the things of God and do you hate the things you used to have? And they go, yeah. And I said, you're okay. And so as you look at this, these verses today, I, I really want, I want the Lord to do whatever he wants to do. But I've read these probably hundreds of times. I've memorized them. I knew people that wrote them on their shoes before they ran track events. I mean, we take the Bible so often and we treat it, I don't know, like we don't internalize it enough. We believe that the Spirit of God spoke into men and they wrote down the words of God. So as you read this today, we don't call this the word of God for fun. Just to add a little extra authority on it, you know this is the word, so you have to, no, this is like our Father in heaven spoke this by his spirit and men wrote it down. Therefore, that's the authority it holds is when I read Romans 8, who's saying that over my life? Yes, Paul, who's speaking through Paul? God is. That's the, good, that's the beauty of this. Is this isn't like, I don't know if I can believe Paul. Forget about Paul. I, can you believe God when he says you're more than a conqueror? Can you believe God when he says nothing's going to separate you from my love? Most everybody, if we were honest, and we're in church, so we'll lie. But if we were honest, if we were honest, we're terrified that God's disappointed in us, somehow removed himself from us. Somehow when stuff hits the fan, that's him showing his displeasure. Really, suffering is like the linchpin of this a little bit. He's going to talk about it in verse 18. He's going to talk about it. He's like, are you willing to suffer for the name of Jesus? But suffering really messes with people's theology. You can start to see the cracks in it when they do. I can even see it in my own life. And I don't need to talk about it. I talk about it a lot. But when my dad got cancer, I went, did I do something wrong? When I got a little depressed during COVID, I was like, did I disappoint you? You see how quickly, if you don't know the scripture and don't preach it over your heart, you'll let your emotions, you'll let the world, you'll let circumstances dictate to you. You might even be in very bad shape physically in this room. Has God abandoned you? So, but you can feel the dark night of the soul set in every once in a while and go, maybe he doesn't like me as much. So you really have to understand what Paul's trying to do right now is he's trying to assure the believer that if you're suffering or if you're in, in prison or if you're struggling against sin every day till the day you see Jesus Christ face to face, it's worth it. He's trying to try to build the courage of the Christian. And so in verse 18, and I hope you're there, he says, remember, therefore no condemnation for those that are in Christ. If you're not in Christ, this isn't true. That sounds mean, right? So all this doesn't matter. All the suffering in the world, going through all the pain in the world, it doesn't mean the same thing to a Christian than it does to a non-Christian. So if you're in Christ, you get to go, even though I'm suffering, it's worth it because there's something greater coming for me. That's my grandmother. She knows how to amen. All right? Did you hear that? 
For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So Christians, you know that the number one reason people leave Christianity, you know what it is? Suffering. We don't have good answers for it. Now, I believe God heals, but I also believe suffering exists in the Christian's life. Why? Because Jesus Christ, the most perfect man to walk the earth, suffered. And he said, if you're going to follow me, they're going to hate you too. To follow Jesus is to have some degree of suffering. And the American church is going to have to relearn that before we walk in the things that we want to walk in. Because we thought, because I know Jesus, it's going to be a white labradoodle with a white picket fence and a perfect house and two kids, 2.5 kids, I don't know what that means, who are perfect and go on and make their perfect kids in my perfect life with my perfect 401k. That is not the message of the gospel. That's not it. That's American Christianity and blessing theology mixed with what Jesus actually said. And so Paul is going to say over and over again, you can live perfectly. You ever met somebody that like, they lifted weights every day, they went to the gym, two, I mean, two, two hour sets. They drank all the kale in the world. They're just like, I love kale. And you're like, and it, cancer still got them. You ever, anybody know about somebody like that? So we, we have this assumption in our heart. If I live well, if I live well enough, or, or if I do the perfect, like if I just do the steps, then suffering, I'll get around it. That's not true. You know that, right? And the problem is, because we're so adverse to suffering or we view it wrongly as if it's God's judgment or he doesn't like us, we spend our whole life terrified of it. Anyone ever seen uh, Francis Chan do his balance beam sermon? That's what we end up doing. We end up living this safe little life where we hug the balance beam and then we get off at the end of our life. And he, he jokes, he's like, God, I just want to die in my sleep with no pain and slip into eternity. And some of us in this room need to know that God's calling you into some things and they might hurt physically, emotionally, socially, but there's a glory. There's something weighty bigger and better than this world could ever offer you. And the people of God have known this since Jesus died because all of them got murdered for it. All the first disciples, ah, except John, they tried to kill him. He just didn't die too well. So they were like, we'll just exile you, right? And we Christians, man, we're like, okay, I'll follow Jesus until they don't invite me to their party. God, what have you done to me? You're like, what are we doing? You know what I mean? We, we have this really weird relationship with suffering. And so really what we need to lean into is he's gonna give us hope. Paul, by the Holy Spirit, is going to tell us through, from God, here's some hope in suffering, okay? For we know, he, so I'll, I'll give you some points, but I consider that the suffering of this present time, and he's talking now until the time that Jesus comes back and secures his bride, okay? The church of Jesus Christ. From now until that time, there will be suffering. Go on to verse 22. And one of the first thing he's going to say is, you know that body you have right now? Hey, who's 40 and above in this room? You know what I'm talking about? 
I just watched this week, Kevin Hart said he, he tried to sprint with uh, an NFL lineman or something like that, and he tore all his ab muscles. Some of you are like, I did that this morning getting out of bed because I'm over 40. If you're 20 right now, you're like, what? If you're under 20 or 20 or over, like you're like in that 20 to 30 age, you're like, I drank a 40 last night and then got, went to bed at two and I got up. Here, I'm good. Let's go. The 40 thing was a little weird. Okay, I agree. This was in my head. It was just, I, as a young person, but it, here's what Paul's about to tell us. Real life begins with the redemption of my body. Real life. This thing here ain't it. He says in verse 22, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. There is a physical redemption coming, guys. That's the whole, like, if you're over 40, you're like, yes, Lord, please, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, right? We, I start to understand, I'm 40 now, I'm starting to understand, like, this isn't it. This tent, which is called in the Bible, this temple, it will die. But the spirit that was made new by God will get a new body that's like Jesus' glorified body. And we'll be with him. And he, and he kind of paints this picture. Not only will humanity be redeemed, but all of creation is doing what? What's creation doing right now? Right? Everybody made the groaning noise. That's weird. Everybody groaned with me. Ugh, right? Ugh, I just I want it so bad. That's, that's, that's what it is. Ever since the moment that our first father, Adam, took a bite and the world was plunged into sin and its effects, what has creation been doing? Make it right, God. Make it right, God. Make it right, God. And now we who have the first, we have the Holy Spirit in us, a deposit, a seal. What are we doing? We're going, make it right, God. Make it right, God. Make it right, God. You ever groaned for something? And typically, you won't find an American Christian groaning because they're too proper. But if enough suffering hits you, you'll start groaning. You ever been in the dark, despairing moments? You ever been in a valley? You ever been in a moment where it doesn't make sense and you find yourself, not the pretty crying where you're like, but like the, just the disgusting snot, moaning, ah, that's groaning. And there should be a longing in the people of God for the returning king. And where there's not, you're like, I don't think you know him too well. We want him to come back. We want them to put everything right. We want the new creation. I mean, it's the, the stuff I don't even get where he's like, the lion is gonna lay down with the lamb. And like, you just picture like this new creation and we got new bodies and you got like boa constrictors who are apparently aren't gonna eat us anymore. And lions were like, good lion. And then we ride them around like Aslan. I don't know, but like, that's the picture. That's the picture that there's gonna be this gloriously beautiful thing and then we get so zoomed in on, I can't believe you let that happen to me here now on this small little timeline and it is Andrew Holsworth's life. So what's Paul doing? He's going, look up. There's way bigger stuff going on right now. Way bigger stuff going on right now. 
I mean, he's going to call it in 2 Corinthians, light and momentary afflictions. They are light and they are momentary. What's most of us have, 80, 90 years? I'm halfway done. I'm checking out. I'm going to go be with Jesus. And that's good news. And people don't talk like that anymore because they're like, no, we're supposed to enjoy this life. No, you're supposed to enjoy God. That's what you're called to do, which makes all this stuff. Who cares about houses and labradoodles and white picket fences? They're fine, but they're not him. That's what Paul's trying to do. So the real life that God calls us to begins with the redemption of our bodies. He, he begins to lay on, he's almost layering on, like, you should be really secure. You should be really firm that you are in Christ. You're not condemned. There's a new law written on your heart. Now, he's saying, now you get to have this idea that we are going to groan and that that seems like unfair, but the Spirit's going to help you. The title at the top of your chapter might be Life in the Spirit. So what's the Holy Spirit doing right now? If you're groaning, inwardly you're going, God, why am I this way? God, make it right. God, I God, God. What's the Holy Spirit doing? Verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. So he's kind of connecting that to the groaning we do. And then the Spirit of God, third person of the Trinity, right? So God himself is doing something by the Spirit. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So what is the Spirit of God doing right now? Two things, right? Give me the first one that you see the Spirit doing in that verse. Interceding. He's praying for you. Crying out to God going, fix it, help him, do it. Yes, lead him. That's the Holy Spirit. Because he knows not only your mind, because, you know, I can't look at you and be like, I know what you're thinking. Some of you I can right now. You're really unhappy. You're like, can you stop talking? I'm just kidding. Give me 30 more minutes. I guarantee you I'll get some looks like that. Side talk. Anyway, okay. my brain just ADD'd out and I brought it back in. I didn't even say it, guys. He's interceding for us with what? Groans too deep for words. So if you and I know what it feels like to go, oh, it's unfair. Oh, make it right. How much more does the Spirit of God groan? I mean, I think way deeper because I think God's way more invested in his creation than we are. And so God's looking over all of humanity right now. And if you watch the news, there's some pretty dark stuff happening right now. And that means the Spirit of God is groaning which kind of has two things kind of associated with it. Number one, a lot of emotion, which means God, this groaning indicates that there's this, this love, this compassion, this fervor, this care. You don't groan over things you don't care about. You shrug. Yeah. But when you start groaning and you start going, no, don't let it be that way. And you start, ah, you see that there's a love and a compassion of God. And the reality is nobody in here you ever been in a room and you're like sharing prayer requests and you hear somebody share one, but they're like, but mine's not as bad as yours. You ever hear that? You know what they're doing? They're, they're trying to say to God, like, God, I know that I'm not worth your time, but the beauty of the God we serve is nobody in here has to fight God for his compassion. It doesn't have to be like, well, I have stage three cancer, 
But all I have stage four, but I'm, I'm going to get the compassion. It's the compassion of God has been poured out. And now the spirit of God groans over all of you. Is groaning for you to be matured, groaning for you to see the Lord, groaning for the thing that's hampering you, groaning. That's, that's, that encourages me. You ever sit and you're trying to pray and you're like, I don't know what to pray. You ever feel that? Like I have no idea how to put into words what's in my heart and in my mind. But the Spirit of God knows your heart and knows your mind, and He is God. And so when He prays, He prays according to the will of God. So when you and I pray, sometimes one might slip out that's really not according to the will of God. It's like, God, I just need some money. Or God, I just need some peace, right? Whatever it is, right? But the Holy Spirit always prays what? According to the will of God. So there's at least one person who's always praying the will of God over your life. And it might not be you, but it is the Spirit of God in you. This is Paul going, okay, take comfort, brothers and sisters. This is assurance that the God of the Bible is going to do what he said he's going to do. And this is finally, I mean, maybe, maybe not finally, but God is going to use all that suffering, all those things to make you like one person. Who's God trying to form you into the image of? Jesus Christ. To talk, think, be like him. Which means, yeah, sometimes suffering happens and God uses it. Anybody in here ever been formed by suffering? Anybody like me? And you're like, sometimes I needed the suffering to make me pay attention. Now, the, the problem is you got to go deep on this. And I don't have all the time in the world because I promised kids, men, I would not talk long today. Did God cause the suffering? Or did he use it? Which one is it? And depending on who you talk to in the church, you might get different answers. Not this church, I'm talking like the church. Is, is God in the smiting business of his kids? And I've said this before, and people think I'm being real mean. Did God give my dad cancer? And depending on how you answer this, it'll change how you pray. It'll change how you hope. It'll change how you walk. But I, I mean, you got Paul thrown into prison, flogged a bunch of times, and he's going, praise God. At one point in time, you have Job, who God calls like the most righteous man on the earth, rubbing boils off his skin with clay pottery. And he's going, I didn't sin. I don't know what happened, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna curse God. I'm gonna bless him. And so as we look at this, this idea, what Paul's going to say in that most popular verse ever, verse 28, we know all things work for the good of those who love God. So let me ask you the most basic question we ask kids. Do you love God? Now let's love God the way that the Bible, do you love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? That's a harder question, right? And it's not like, okay, if you love God at 74.2% this week, then he works stuff for good. The verse says, for you know all things work for the good. Now, all is a very peculiar word in the English language because it means all. Got that from Talawanda. All, right? All. <laughs> now, we don't like the word all, 
Because we're like, I really wish when you said you were going to work things to my good, you meant like winning the lottery and like being called into missions in Bermuda and like cool stuff. But when he says all, does he mean when you get sick? All. all. When, when the car wreck happens, when the job is lost, when the kid is lost, did he say all? Now that's harder, right? Because I've been in some rooms with some people and I've watched this verse just stab them. Because once again, good meaning people pull this verse out. Well, all things will work for good. And you're like, my kid is dead. How is their good? Right? So let's just be a people that like really sit with some people in their suffering and not just assume like, well, they deserved it like Job's friends. But you can lean into this. I just think we so quickly want to explain it away because it's uncomfortable. And we all, the big universal human question, you know what it is? Why? Why, God? Why? But interesting to me about this verse is we always actually forget about the last part of verse 28. We go, all things work to good for those that love him. I mean, well, you probably have it on coffee cup. Anybody got it on a coffee cup? Apron? Poster, kitty poster. I mean, like, who are called what? According to his purposes. So he says, all things work for good for those that love God, who are what? Called to his purposes. So we, as the world, we've latched onto this verse and go, okay, there's always a silver lining. But God goes, no, no, no. If you're not called according to my purposes, what's not happening? And you have to ask a question, what are his purposes? What are the purposes of God? I'm glad you asked because he's going to tell you in verse 29. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Praise God, Hugh. What is God's goal in all of it? To conform you to whose image? Jesus Christ. So what is God doing? If you're in the... I'm going to say a bad word. If you were in... If you're just in struggle mode right now, you're in the valley, things have hit the fan. What is God doing if you'll let him? Conforming you to the image of his son. So you think, walk, talk, breathe like the living son of God, whose spirit is in you, by the way, who's groaning for you, by the way. And really, we read this and we're like, let's talk about foreknowledge and predestination. Let's not. Because Paul's actually not trying to create a theological argument right now. He's trying to create faith. He's trying to get us to go, no matter if they throw you and your kids in prison, nothing can separate you from the love of God and God's gonna work all things to your good. So if they take me tonight and throw me into prison and accuse me of all sorts of things, and maybe let's just add on like, take my kids and they die and all this stuff and then they end up hanging me for being a Christian. I get to go where? You sure? I get to go where? Where do you, home, somebody said. I get to go to the greatest place anywhere with the greatest dad anywhere. They can't touch me then. Do you see what he's doing? He's going, everything you worry about, your body falling apart, that's why you're chugging kale. You're terrified of dying. But Christians aren't afraid of dying because we already did with Jesus. That was a little deeper than we needed to go. But that's the idea. 
I have been crucified with Christ is what he yells. Which means what? If you've been crucified, you what? You died. You dead. Old you gone, new you alive forever. This is the hope of Christianity. It rearranges our priorities. It changes our affections. It I mean, it changes what I do in a day and what all of it. And is it hard? Absolutely. When the diagnosis phone call comes in, it's always hard. Like you wrestle with some stuff. I understand that. But that's what Paul's saying. For those he foreknew, he also be predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And I would say this a thousand times to you. What God started in you, he's gonna finish. Some of us are a little slower in process than others. A little more rock-headed. God says something and you're like, I know. And then like he says it 17 more times and you're finally like, fine. Anybody else? A little more stubborn? But I take great comfort, verse 29 and 30, that what God started he's going to finish. God gave his only begotten son, beloved son, and then he was crucified. God has paid a high cost already for you. A high price has been paid that you would become a son or daughter of God. So all that payment, why would he now let you like just mess around for the rest of your life? and not give you the power and the leadership and the gifting and the things you need to live a godly life. Why would he do that? He'd be like, I saved you, now I'm done with you. That's not how this works. Verse 30, you be conformed to the image of his son and those he predestined, he also called and those he called, he also justified and those he justified, he also glorified. You notice that, that all that's like past tense language? Like it's done. So before you ever were a twinkle in mom's eye, whoa, Jeremiah said, whoa. <laughs> before you ever were, that's the idea of foreknowledge. There's only one create, like one being, creature, on, in existence that can foreknow stuff. God. And he knew you. And you. And yous. That's from Indiana, use. <laughs> That's right, Indiana, man. He foreknew you, and then he did what? He predestined you to do what? To be called, to be justified, and then to be glorified. So what he started, he's going to finish. So you actually know how this whole thing ends. So from here, right now, whatever the heck the date is, August 27, 2023, I almost said 2024. Is it the 27? I feel better. From right now till the day you die, what is God doing? Conforming you to the image of his son. And what does he promise? That the moment you enter into glory, you will be glorified with him. So really, that kind of puts in perspective the next 40 years of my life. And bad stuff's bound to happen because we actually are at, in a war zone right now. Because this is called the kingdom of darkness, where the, the enemy of our souls is ruling. And we have a whole system of government and living right now that's in a spiritual war, and they don't know it, but guess what? We do. So sometimes I'm gonna have to walk through a valley. Does that mean God abandoned me? No. It means God's producing something in me, though. 
And so Paul begins to ask some questions, and then I'll, I'm going to land this plane after he asks his fourth question. Uh, in verse 31, all of a sudden he's just like, now what about this? And what about this? And what about that? What about this? They're, they're not accusatory. They're encouraging. I'll show you what I mean. Verse 31. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? What's the answer? My grandma just said it. She knows. Nobody. Ain't nobody. If your boss doesn't like you, who's for you? If you're in a horrible marriage, who's for you? Like We could deal with that too also, by the way. (laughs) What then are we to say about these things, about this idea of being predestined and called, this idea of the spirit in us, this idea of groaning, this idea of not being condemned because we're in Christ? What are we to say about these things? Well, what we're going to say is if there's an all-powerful God who's promised he's going to work it for good, what am I worried about? Whose opposition am I afraid of? Who are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? And I'm saying that because we live in fear most days of our life. I can't say that to them. What will they think about me? I can't stand up for my faith here. They'll fire me. What are you afraid of? I'm getting a little more. I feel this on me and I hate it in me. I hate that I go fearful when God's told me not to be. So God says, all right, I'm for you. Who else do you need? No, and I'm, I'm not even being, see, who, like, you, you are living for someone else's approval. Most everybody in this room has somebody that they want, they're, fear, they're feared, they fear their opposition. Why? And this is Paul reorienting us again, and he's going, if God's for you, don't be afraid of anything else. Is God for you? And don't answer it as a Sunday school looking at a felt board. Answer it honestly. Do you know that God is for you? God is for me, then who can be against me? There's a proverb that I love, and I actually, if I was at a women's conference, I would preach it, but it's Proverbs 31. But it says, the godly woman has no fear of the future. You've ever heard that verse, ladies? Do you know why the godly woman has no fear of the future? And we want to say, well, it's because, well, she, she organized her life. She meal prepped for those kids. You know what I mean? She whipped it in. No, I don't think that's what Proverbs 31 is about. You know why the godly woman has no fear of the future? Because she knows the God that's standing behind her. Therefore, she does not fear the future because she knows who's with her. This is the, this is, King David in Psalm 23, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Who's wielding the rod and the staff? God. So you might be in the valley, but if you're in Christ, what's happening? A comfort, a joy, a, a shepherding. He's pulling you back. He's, he's beating off lions. He's, he's doing something. Because he says in verse 32, he did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not also, also with him grant us everything? So this is kind of this idea. If he already gave his most precious possession, why would he hold out on you now? If he's already given you the son, why would he, not, why would he now be like, ah, now I'm going to give you cancer too? That's not what's happening. 
And, and so if he didn't spare Jesus, and, and you can kind of see this idea play out in, in, our, in our world, and I got to go fast. Um, you ever had a yard sale or a garage sale and there's stuff that you have like memories attached to and you want to sell it for a lot? But it's like crap, you know what I mean? And then like old Susan comes by to try to buy it and you're like, oh, I can't get rid of that, right? And so it's this idea that sometimes you can see the value of something by, by how much we're willing to pay for it. And in, in our, our world, so often that, that, that garage sale kind of idea happens. But God sacrificed Jesus to save you. High price? How much more is he going to redeem and sanctify and lead and glorify you. This is Paul's argument. Who then, verse 33, who can bring an accusation against God's elect? That's a question, right? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. So I, you need to almost say this out loud sometimes to yourself. If God accepts me, whose disapproval do I fear? If God accepts you, if God's the judge of me, if when I get to heaven, who do we get to point to and say, he told me I get to be here? You get to point to Jesus. And then finally, in verse 35, who, another question, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? If you can't be separated from the love of God, What's all this striving about? What's all these fearful nights about? Oh, I know you're disappointed in me. What's that all about? And so this is where, uh, you know, there's a, a really famous sermon by, by John Piper uh, about this idea. And I skipped over it, but I, I think I'll read it. So it's kind of back a little bit, Ben. Not only is all your affliction momentary, not only is it light, in comparison to eternity and the glory there, but every second of it is totally meaningful. Every millisecond of your misery and the path of obedience is producing a peculiar glory you will get because of that suffering. I don't care if it was a cancer or criticism, slander or sickness, it wasn't meaningless. It's doing something. Of course you can't always see what it's doing. Don't look to what is seen. So when your mom dies, when a child dies, when you've got cancer at 40, when a car careens into the sidewalk and takes her out, don't say that's meaningless. It's not. It's working for you an eternal weight of glory. Therefore, don't lose heart, but take these truths, and I would say Romans 8, and day by day, focus on them. Preach them to yourself every morning. Get alone with God and preach his word into your mind until your heart sings with confidence that you are known and cared for. This is what you have to do with Romans 8 in this, in this generation. Preach to your heart over and over again. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. Some of you are gonna be walking through a valley in the next season of your life. 
Some of you are gonna get that phone call. Some of you are already have done it and you're still feeling really beaten up and bruised. Did it separate you from the love of God? Satan will tell you yes. Your own mind might tell you yes. But what does the word of God say? Nothing. Those are all hypotheticals. He's going, well, can famine? No. Nakedness? No. The sword? No. This is his whole point. For I am persuaded, verse 39, that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You are loved and you are cared for. You want to say it out loud with me? I am loved and I am cared for. Sound like a self-help seminar, but it's the Bible. You know what I mean? This is the, this is the song of the people of God. I am loved and I am cared for. That's the song. That's the heralding of the beauty of the work of Jesus. That is Romans 8. And all those questions you could ask him this week. Like, all right, God, why am I afraid? Who am I afraid of? I don't want to be afraid of anybody but you. God, if you love me and nothing can separate me from your love, forgive me for trying to earn it over and over again. You can just take these truths and preach them over your own heart. So I'll say what I started with. Will you try to memorize Romans 8? Write it on the mirror. Print it out, read sections of it. Hide it in your heart. Because there will be days where the valley is real. But that does not mean God abandoned you. But it does mean all things work to good for those that love him and are called according to his purposes. Because he called you, he's going to save you, and he is saving you, and he will glorify you. What I'd like to do is I just want to pray, and I want to invite the team to come back up and, and to worship. As soon as I uh, say amen, a couple of things are going to happen. They're gonna, we're just going to worship in response to the word of God. But I'd love to go back to kind of where we were when we went, went into that moment of kneeling, where the whole room was locked into one thing, God, you. So when I say amen, you might be a parent and it's about noon. And if you could go get your kid, we would love the kids in here. But if it's like, man, it's already been a long morning and you need to go home, freedom and peace on you, okay? We don't say goodbye in these services. They're gonna worship until nobody's left in this room. Which means if you need to sit here and ponder the truths of scripture, you should sit here and ponder the truth of God. If you need to sit here and come up and ask somebody on our prayer team to pray for you, that you'll get this rooted deep down in you, come and ask for prayer. If you were in here earlier and you need to go back to a place of kneeling and worshiping God in freedom, please do, okay? So let's pray, respond to the word and listen to the Holy Spirit, whatever he wants you to do. And then go this week and root these things in your heart. Jesus, we love you. And I thank you that this is the word of God spoken by the spirit of God through Paul. And we take it that seriously. There's therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ. You are more than conquerors in Jesus Christ. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ. And so Lord, we take these, these truths, these your words, and we ask as a body that you would sink them into our very souls. 
that we wouldn't be hearers only, we would be doers. And so we would live differently this week because you said this about us. Because you said it, we'll live it and believe it. And so, Father, I ask, I ask for the Holy Spirit right now. I ask that you would set this body free to worship you in spirit and truth. I ask that we would be a people that, that are in love with you. And that if we've fallen out of first love, that you would put a first love fire back in us. I ask once again, God, that you would be the fascination of this church. You. We don't want services. We don't even care about manifest. We want you. One thing I have asked, this is what I seek after. Lord, we ask to know you deeply this week. I ask that our, our people in this body would be protected from the evil one, that you would fill them with strength and power from on high, and that your kingdom would come. I hope today's message has been a blessing and an encouragement to you. If you would like more information, you can find us at www.cobblestonechurch.com. Have a great week and God bless.